it's just what I love doing. So I love being, I'm tuned into the market all the time. I don't want to be a day trader. I don't want to have to stare at my screen all the time, but I want to be able to be actively selling options, buying them back um, every week. But it's not something that like I'm stuck at the screen doing. So it allows me to invest and also trade. So it's the best of both worlds and it's it, it, I get a thrill out of it. So it keeps me engaged. It keeps it keeps money coming in that I can add to different stocks or hold as cash until opportunity presents itself. Hey, fellow Stock Guardians, welcome back to the show. Today's episode is a little bit different than usual because we have a guest that is a little bit different than usual. Usually we bring long-term fundamental investors, which most of you are familiar with. Today, I have the pleasure of having a new kinds of investor on the channel. Sean is an everyday investor and is a swing trader, like many of you. And I know in our audience, there is a lot of swing traders as well as fundamental long-term investors. Sean has 10 years of experience doing swing trading and looking at the stock market. His full-time job is civil engineer and he designs highways, which we're going to talk about it soon and ask him about it because quite cool. Sean, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the channel to, to hopefully engage with your audience here. So I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. So before we even jump in to any of the investing related channel uh, questions, civil engineer designing highways. Uh, is there any of the highways we know that you've been involved? Can you share any of those uh, highway numbers that, that we can go pass by and say, this is Sean's design? <laughs> well, yeah, so some of the projects that I've designed have been constructed. Uh, a lot of the projects that I work on are in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. So I'm out of Pennsylvania, so a lot of PennDOT projects. Um, there are some interchanges, some loop ramps that I've designed, um, but if you're not around the area, they're smaller projects, you probably don't know, but around the King of Prussia area, I've worked on a lot of projects. Very cool. I love it. And uh, if you ever knew who designed Highway 1 in California, you should make an introduction <laughs> because it's not a well-designed highway. It's beautiful drive, but I'm sure there's a lot of technical issues with this highway. I don't know if you were yeah. driven through Highway 1. No, but... I actually never been to California. So I've only been on the East Coast and in the Caribbean. Um, so I'm originally from Miami. There's a ton of traffic in Miami. There's a ton of traffic here outside of Philadelphia. So my job is to help try to reduce traffic, but people keep on, the population keeps on growing, traffic keeps on going up. So I think it's a secure job. I'm always going to have, I'm always going to be able to find work. <laughs> oh yes. You'll have a lot of fun work. And if you ever run out of interesting project and that side of the country, come to California because highway four or five and highway five in between LA and Orange County and down South and one one in Bay area. I'm sure they need some good yes. design to reduce the traffic. So yes, design is going to be very, design is going to be very important, especially once we start seeing autonomous driving. So yes. it's a, uh, it's a, it's, it's interesting world out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a totally different, I believe, um, design for autonomous driving. And I, I believe um, I've read somewhere that Ford and GM and some other autonomous driver car manufacturers have started uh, working with highway authorities to design how the highways should look like. And then all, all, almost like you need chips and um, ways of digitally communicating between cars and the highways 
as the autonomous vehicles are going to ride in it. I don't know much about it, but that sounds uh, that sounds quite a lot of work, interesting work in the future. Yes, yes, for sure. Everything has to be connected. So uh, that's that's the direction we're moving in. Excellent. Well, let's go back to our investing. Maybe at the end, we come back to some autonomous car uh, <laughs> stocks. And I have uh, one. What's that? I said I have one in my portfolio. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. okay. Care, we'll to share, care to share? Maybe at the end of the video, we're going to get you to talk about that, that okay. one. <laughs> You're looking at it from expert point of view when you know these what, what needs to happen. So we, we wanted to hear that one as yeah. for sure. Well, uh, we talked about your background in, in terms of your YouTube channel. Uh, you said it a little bit. I said it at the beginning. You started in 2019. But is there anything else you want to add about your YouTube channel? What's in it? Why you started it? And how's it been going? Yeah, so originally I started my YouTube channel because I really wanted to start a business and collaborate with people. And I found that it was very difficult to get people that were as motivated as I was. So being around 25 years old, I was looking for something with a low cost of entry and something that I can do on my own at my own pace. So YouTube was a great idea. And I've, I, I've been investing since high school. So over 10 years and I, and I knew enough to start making videos to try to help people. So that's the route I took to start my YouTube channel. And like you said, I do stock picks. I do product reviews. I do investment strategies. I do everything regarding the stock market pretty much. And I dabble somewhat into cryptocurrencies, but my main focus on my channel is investing in swing trading, longer term swing trades in the stock market. Love it. That's super cool. And I haven't done any swing trading. Um, I have to be honest. So it's always great to understand the other ways of investing and those perspective understand how to go about it. Um, you also do some option tradings, I believe. So can you talk through how you use option trading in your overall portfolio and where does it fit into just general investment strategy? Yeah, so the options market is very diverse. You can use the options market for however you want. You can be extremely short-term and extremely risky, or you can be long-term and less risk. Because the options market, it's basically, you, it's like when you walk into a casino, you can either be the gambler by buying options, or you can be the casino by selling options. So typically the way that I like to do it is I like to be the casino on the trade and I'll sell options to collect premiums up front. I'll combine that kind of options trading strategy with some long-term investments to almost make my long-term investments like a dividend stock because I'm collecting those premiums every week, bi-weekly or every month, depending on the given stock, collecting money. And that's essentially yield me uh, a return, a passive income return at lower risk. I've done some selling the options uh, for a few years. I took the course multiple options quite a few years ago, and that was sort of my entry into learning about options. And uh, yeah, to your point, I use it for just side income in as a way to to get some income from your long term investing. I got to say the last option that just got expired, actually, which was was very happy about was like a two year long, long term option. A put option that I sold on Boeing when Boeing was really down at $85 or something. And then it would put it at 205 price um, for this um, Boeing sell. And 
it was really going very well in December-ish, early December, and then the Boeing started kind of hovering around 200, and I'm like, oh shoot, now maybe this option actually get put, get put, and I get to have to buy this, which I don't want it to do that, which we will talk about whether we should ever write options or sell options on the stocks you don't want to own, which could be some of the criteria you consider. But yeah, that was my last one. I was very lucky that it kind of like just stayed above 205, and it went expired, yeah. and I kept my premium without worrying about it um okay I've, i guess let's let's talk about how are you dealing with the recent volatility first and then we'll we'll dig into some specific stock stuff and some of the ways you put options you sell options but how do you feel what, what's going on in your mind what, what do you how, how do you cope with this crazy market these days so i'm still very bullish on the market i think corrections are natural and the stock market did have a massive rally so having a pullback is somewhat natural some of these pullbacks are extreme and depending on the individual security but the way that i cope with it is that when i when i invest in a company before i or or trade it before i get into it i i already know that i could potentially lose my entire investment in this so when I see stocks fall, that's that's part of the game. And and I've been through this enough to realize that this is going to happen. So I don't let it affect me emotionally and then reflect and have it impact my trading and investing negatively. So what I personally have been doing, I have cash on the side, but I've been buying the dips. And when stocks get lower than they were before, I add to them just to kind of build up my position. Because I think when the streets are blood, when there's blood on the streets, even if it's your own blood, you should be buying. And that's that's the what I believe. So that's what I'm doing. I love it. I think um, to, to the blood analogy, <laughs> I think Peter Lynch has a quote about the most important, um, uh, I guess, part of your body when it comes to good investing is your gut, not your brain. <laughs> yeah. And so if you're bleeding out of your gut, but you, if you're a good investor, you still kind of let it go and then you keep, keep buying. And uh, that's basically where the good investors are differentiated from bad investors or short term investors. So that's a really good, uh, that's a really good, it's hard though. It's hard to keep that, those logical ways of thinking about these things in your mind. And then when you look and you bought something on the dip and then tomorrow it also kept sort of the falling knife type thing keeps yeah. falling. It's, it's hard to decide whether you're chasing a wrong thing or keep buying the falling knife or is this a real true uh, buying opportunity? For sure. And probably the biggest advice I would give someone is that, if you're in a position and you feel like you're over leveraged on that position, you have too much money, you have to take money out because when things start to fall, if you have too much money, you're over leveraged, that's when you're going to start reacting um, inappropriately because there's just too much emotion in it. I agree. That's, that's a really good point. If over leverage or it's the money that you actually you need for some stuff that you can't yeah. afford not to do. So that becomes very difficult. If you eliminate those things, leverage, over leverage and eliminate investing the cash you need immediately, then it gets a lot more easier to deal with the emotional of ups and downs in the market. So uh, talking about ups and downs, I do want to get to option strategy, but one of your most viewed videos on your YouTube channel is about AMC, GME to the moon type thing. And then <laughs> you were talking about how bullish you are still, despite all the um, craziness that's going in the market. I'd love to hear your point of view on 
the bullish case of AMC and disclosure, I've bought $1,000 of AMC when the craziness was happening. I still keep it, whether it goes to whatever, I keep it in, I just wanna see, have a stake in this situation and see what's gonna happen with AMC. Yeah. I don't really have a bullish or bearish case for it, but I'd love to hear your bullish case because maybe why my $1,000 become $10,000 at some point. Yeah, you're kind of you're kind of putting me in a tough spot here because actually my videos for AMC and GME were very early on. So um, a lot of growth in my channel came from me picking AMC and GME well before they initially squeezed, uh, especially GME. So I, uh, I, I have a private discord. We talked about these kinds of opportunities in my channel. And I was actually in GameStop for over a year with some leap call options, waiting for a potential short squeeze. And I turned $200 into $21,000, but I ended up selling way too early. So I sold uh, GameStop when it was around $60 a share, mm -hmm. converting 200 to 21,000. But GameStop went over 400 bucks that my $200 would have been worth half a million dollars at the very top if I was to hold. Right. I did the same thing with AMC. Essentially, uh, before these uh, stocks were squeezing and when we were in the midst of the pandemic and everyone thought nobody was going to go to movie theaters anymore and they were going to go bankrupt, I saw that there was a very high short interest at the time. It was around 70% that I said, I'm going to buy some long-term call options, just a little bit of money. If it works out, if it, it works out, if it doesn't, I didn't put a lot of money into it. And boy, did they work out They because they squeezed and I was able to make thousands and thousands of dollars off of these two trades. And that was just incredible. 2020 was an insane year. Uh, moving forward, I'm not really bullish on AMC. I don't have a position anymore. The short interest has been reduced a ton. A lot of people got into the stock. So I think momentum is going to be hard to come by again in those meme stocks. And also uh, coming with AMC, they're going to have to dilute and offer more shares uh, in the near term future, in my personal opinion, looking at their cash burn and where they're situated. So that dilution is going to further reduce the short interest. So those two stocks I'm no longer in, but it was a, a fun ride. <laughs> That is that is awesome. So no chance my thousand dollar gonna turn to ten thousand dollar anytime I, the, soon. The, the mother of all short squeezes, I do not think it's going to happen for AMC. Maybe some other stocks, maybe Cassava Science that has a high short interest, and mm -hmm. maybe their Alzheimer's drug actually works, and then you can see a massive short squeeze in those kinds of stocks. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm a man, I'm I'm an engineer. I love math, I love data, and I look at the short interest and I, I use that information to try to make informed swing trades. That makes a lot of sense. And what is, uh, what is uh, I guess, the short interest level you use on stock or actually, I'm sure you've seen it or you, you, it would be a good chance to take a look and let us know what do you think about it. There's a collection that we have, it's called potential meme stocks. And we basically just look at volume and we have some thresholds on volume and short interest. And when, when basically the stocks have really high short interest and um, crazy volumes out of normal, it gets, the stock gets added to that potential meme stock collection. And, um, but we put, we were not very, um, we, we basically put a very, um, not too restrictive criteria there. We maybe put a 10% short interest as a criteria and some other ones for volume, but 
would you change anything about the short interest level in terms of the stock that would qualify as a good one for short interest? Yeah, I think short interest, uh, there's a ton of stocks that have short interest between the 10 and 20%. Um, so I don't think they really stand out. But if you get above 25%, you can get a decent squeeze. We're, no, we're not going to see the AMC short interest of 70% or the GameStop short interest of over 100% like we did before because they're just targeted. So you're not going to see those kinds of stocks. But if you can find one that has a short interest of over 20%, and in addition to that, you see a potential catalyst coming up or you see a valuation case. When you combine those two, that's how you can get into a stock with a potential short uh, squeeze that you're not just going to be bleeding money because you have a bullish case on the underlying security as well. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that yeah. information. So let's, in the interest of time, I think this is a, such a good topic and such a new topic on, on our channel that I think we should bring you back on and talk about these things in a later time. But today I promise we're going to talk about options and how you go about selling options as a part of your long-term uh, strategy. So let's just dig deep and hear, uh, learn from you about uh, how do you go about picking a stocks to sell an option on them? And uh, what are some of the metrics you use in order to find the right stocks? Yeah, so with selling options, it's, it's similar to picking stocks that I wanna buy stock for, secure, like actual individual stocks. The, uh, the, the security, I have to like the, the stock, the company long-term. So I have to understand the company. I have to take a look at valuation. I have to be okay or think that it's undervalued. Um, I have to kind of think of a catalyst that growth is going to sustain itself or some kind of bull case for, for the stock. If, if that if I, if, uh, if I find a stock that meets all of that criteria and I'm looking for an investment, then I want to see what kind of leaps I can get into it. So leaps are long-term call options that expire in at least a year, but in some cases it can be more than two years. So I'll buy a leap in it. And then the way that I, uh, what I then do is I will sell poor man's covered calls against my position. This is just like selling covered calls, but instead of holding a hundred shares of a, of a particular security, I own a leap that's in the deep in the money. So then I can create passive income through that. And I can also be investing, or if you want to call it a swing trade in a particular stock, because sometimes my covered calls will get called on and I will have to let go of my leap. And it's a trade because I didn't hold it for more than a year. Um, so that's one strategy is, is being long-term invested in a stock and sell poor man's covered calls or covered calls against the position. Another case would be if I really like a company and it's just too, it's, it's too, the valuation is just too, uh, too high for me at this point. And I have a price target in mind. I know what price I want to buy this stock at. I can sell cash secured puts until it gets to that price. It may never get to that price, but since I'm selling cash secured puts, I'm getting money waiting for the stock to drop to a price that I like. So let's just say for whatever, uh, you can pick any stock, Google. Google's at around what, $3,000 right now, 2,800 yeah. bucks or something like that. Before let's say that split. I, yeah, before the split. Let's say that I like Google with the current, um, shares outstanding at 2250. 
I could sell cash secure puts at that price. If it never gets to it, I just continue to collect the premiums. If it does get to it, I can take a hundred shares. Now Google at, at 2,250 bucks, a hundred shares is a lot of money. So that's not a great example, but maybe after the split, that's something you can do as a retail investor. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So I'm more familiar with the second one, which is cash secure, selling cash secure put options, which is basically to your point, it's about a stocks that I wouldn't mind owning. And in my Boeing example, I probably ignored that rule, which was I, I wrote a put option on a stock that I didn't actually want to own 100, 100 shares of it. Yeah. Um, but in reality, to, to your point, it needs to be a stock that you would want to own and it's a stock that you would um, not mind having in your portfolio. And then you can also afford writing a put option or selling a put option against it because some very big stocks like like um, a Google uh, example needs tons of cash. Lots of your cash basically gets uh, hold up in your brokerage account. Uh, against that. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what percentage of your investment cash or investment, I guess, investing net worth, the money that you have in investing is allocated to uh, basically uh, option strategy? Well, so in my taxable account, I would say, well, I don't know the exact percent, but it's Roughly. it's it's a lot. So mm -hmm. I really don't own many shares. So I'm going to say around 80% of my my taxable account is owning leaps and selling uh, poor man's covered calls against it. I'm just a huge fan of being able to collect premiums. And I like that I can invest in a company and also trade it at the same time by selling those calls every week or every other week. My 401k is all, all funds. And then I have cash and I have some real estate as well. Got it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. What makes options a good fit for your sort of like taxable in more active uh, strategy is that it was that did you choose it to be that way or is there is there is a good way to to think about it or it, it just happened to be that way it's just what i love doing so i love being i'm tuned into the market all the time i don't want to be a day trader i don't want to have to stare at my screen all the time but i want to be able to be actively selling options buying them back um, every week, but it's not something that like I'm stuck at the screen doing. So it allows me to invest and also trade. So it's the best of both worlds and it's, it, it, I get a thrill out of it. So it keeps me engaged. It keeps, it keeps money coming in that I can add to different stocks or hold as cash until opportunity presents itself. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Thank you for that. So can we go through, I mean, we went through the Google example, but can we go through um, one example from sort of A to Z? Obviously, we don't have enough time to kind of like go to the very detail of it. But let's say, I mean, if you have a specific ticker in your mind or if I can give you a ticker and then we can talk about whether it's a good stock to selling a put option for, that would be a really good learning uh, example for our audience and people who are watching. Would you be up for it? Yeah, you want me to do a put option or a, or a covered call first? Whichever that you feel better, I it doesn't matter. It would be good to kind of like just make it a little bit more clear so that people can understand um, yeah. the thought process. Yeah, so I could do, I could talk about a position that I have open right now. So okay. um, so the stock is Intel. It's a, it's a company I think most people are familiar with. Um, it's considered a value stock. So 
um, volatility should be reduced in a company like Intel, um, even though they did have earnings like last week and the stock did drop a decent amount. But what I have in my position right now for Intel is I have um, four leaps that expire in January 20 of 2023. So that's the contract. That's how long it's open for. So it's more than a year or about two years because January 2023. This, the strike price for the leap options, $40 a share. Right now, Intel is trading at $48.88. So in two years, Intel needs to either stay flat or it could drop $8.88 and I'm still in the money. Mm -hmm. So I won't completely lose my position. What I've been doing is I've been selling poor man's covered calls against those leaps. And I have four of them open right now. I have three of them for February 18th of this month at the $51 strike. And I have another one at the $52 strike. My trade price was $40 for each. So there's four times 40, 160 bucks that I've gotten. Uh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 160 bucks that I got every other week just by holding my Intel stock. So mm -hmm. that's essentially, and my position size is 4,460. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what that is in return every other week, but it's, it's a fair amount that I'm collecting. I don't know, 1% every other week in a, in a stock that's mm -hmm. relatively flat that I am bullish on long-term. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. So you have that long term leap because you believe this stock is valued at lower that is it's basically undervalued, which a lot yeah. of the metrics show that, but you're giving the company enough time, which is almost two years to actually build towards that value that or to hire that the current value, but you're using the current markets reaction to the current situation of Intel to make some money against that that current situation of the stock and that's how you generate income through it yes mm. ideally the perfect situation in this strategy would be that my leaps never get called in i can continue to sell covered calls that acts as a way to make money weekly or, or monthly it also acts as a hedge and then intel eventually continues to go up and because i have leaps i'm long in the stock and also i have exposure to four of these leaps at less than buying 400 shares worth of in, in just stock so then i can get a return on that as well so i can win both ways wow that makes sense that makes sense it's if once you actually learn about the logic behind it, it it's very it's very logical it's just getting there and kind of feeling the comfortable comfort getting feeling comfortable with all right what is the undervalued stock that you want to have as an underlying leap and then how to go about pricing the other side selling call options on it um that that part is just some learning curve which i believe that's what you teach on your channel so that's yes what, that's there, why we have you on the on the show there, there's definitely a learning learning curve but uh once you start getting a hang of it it's 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 really not that complicated it's just you have to uh you have to take the time to try to learn it and then you, you learn best by doing, so you have to actually start doing it. And you, you'll mess up sometimes, but the beauty of this strategy is if you mess up, you just lose the, the positions you have. You're not losing money, you're just missing out on potential gains. Love it, that makes a lot of sense. 
All right. So we don't we only book 30 minutes with you and I know you're busy and it's almost like seven o'clock and we're in your neck of the woods, seven o'clock in the afternoon. So we want to let you go and have dinner. So I got to get to my last two questions. Um, we all it's a tradition around here that we ask about one stock to buy now and why. So I'm going to just ask you our question between the universe of crazy stock market that is happening right now with all the stocks up and down what is one stock sean that you would want to buy now and why well i'll just pick a stock that i have a, a a fair amount of money in that i've been adding to recently because i think it's at a relative low and there's upside in the upcoming years and for me that stock is uber so that's one stock that I am bullish on. Um, I'm taking a leap of faith here because Uber is going to report tomorrow after hours. So we'll Ooh. find out if it's a good investment or not. <laughs> I would not buy Uber until after earnings. Uh, but if there is a pullback, I, I still think the stock's undervalued. I don't think anything bad is going to happen with earnings. Maybe uh, ride share, uh, ride, mobility went down a little bit because of, of the Omicron variant. But I think moving forward, the company is well suited and uh, there's a bullish case there. So I think, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's time for Uber to make a rebound. It's been trading at its IPO price forever now. So yes. I think there's a bull case there. That makes sense. I'm looking at Uber as a stock card, obviously high gross potential company and undervalued with analyst price target of 65, higher than $65 and today's price of $38, uh, very close to its 50 week low to your point of close yeah. in, in IPO. And actually it is part of that whole um, autonomous car movements or have they sold that division? I'm not sure whether they've, they've sold it or not, but they yeah, were they, obviously. Mm -hmm. They sold it. Yeah, they sold it. Okay, great. So um, fantastic. That's a good, that's a good stock. Hopefully um, tomorrow's uh, earnings go well to your, to your liking. But even if it does not, if it's a long-term hold, uh, who, who cares about what's happening <laughs> in the short term, right? In the right, yeah. <laughs> Well, Sean, we're almost at the end of the uh, conversation. Where can people find you? Tell us a little bit about your channel and uh, on Twitter, on YouTube, on, on anywhere on your uh, uh, Patreon and let everybody know what, where they can find you. And then we'll definitely put a link to all of those in the show notes. Yes. So you can find my YouTube channel by typing in, we are investing. I should come up the full name is Sean. We are investing. Uh, that's where I post all of my videos on YouTube. I also have a Patreon, which will give you access to valuation spreadsheets, to a private Discord server, to links, to, to programs and things like that. Um, a link to the Patrons and like every single one of my videos. But if you go on Patreon, you can type in We Are Investing. Um, and you can find me on other platforms as well, like Twitter. Um, my username is, uh, well, I think it's S7Pence, but I'm not exactly sure. I'm not super active on Twitter. Gotcha. All right, great. So we are investing with Sean on YouTube. That's how we found you. And uh, we hope we can have you back on this show, talk about call options and put options and long-term investing. Also, we hope that um, we can have you uh, at some point, have your portfolio on the stock card and just keep keep uh, growing together and sharing and sharing our knowledge with the stock card community. Sean, thank you for doing this and hope to have you back on the channel soon. Yes, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. See ya.